this season, there's always those traditional movies that are out this time of the year. Some of you probably have bought some. And there's one movie that I enjoy. Let me put the movie on the screen here. This is the new tradition, Home Alone uh, at Christmas time. And if you know the story, Kevin wakes up, a 10-year-old boy, Kevin. He wakes up and his t- entire family is disappeared. They've missed him, the big family. Everybody's gotten in the car and they've taken off. And he is home alone. And if you remember the story, he actually enjoys it for a while. And through the whole course of events, there's obviously, there's the bad guys, and he finds a new friend, and uh, even though he's missing. But in the story, there's some, a couple of times where he actually is lonely, a- and you realize that he even misses some of his siblings that he can't get along with. So here's a 10-year-old boy who's lonely. But the fact is, is that there's many, many people where Christmas doesn't have a happy ending either. Matter of fact, for some people, no one shows up. And that's kind of the end of the story for Christmas. See, for some, the season just reminds them that they are home alone. Or alone. Uh, Focus on the Family has an advice website. I don't know if you know that. And people send in questions. I want to give you an example of a question that's sent in recently. Here's what it says. Everybody talks about Christmas joy and good cheer. But I don't feel it. I usually just fake it because all my holiday memories are bad ones. How am I supposed to get into the Christmas spirit? Kind of compelling question, isn't it? See, for many people, this isn't a season of joy. It's just a season that brings out more stress and more pain. And the goal then for some is just, let's just get through it. Get through it. And I suspect that for some people, maybe a few of you even here today, that that's you, to some degree anyway. But I think for for all of us, when it comes to a body of believers, for us that claim to know Jesus and that we're a disciple of him, there's a question. Let me put it on the screen and for your notes. What is God's desire for each of us as we relate to other people during this Christian the Christmas season? Now here, I'm not really talking about our close friends or even our intimate family. What I'm talking about, as we look into the world and we see people, how do we relate to them in a time when we so focus on tradition and families and joy? My question is, can we actually be missing out on the will of God for our lives? See, what does he want for our lives? Especially with the the pace of the season The question, do we see any loneliness in people's faces? Do we see those that are home alone or or just alone? And and then the, so what? Uh, We've titled this Christmas series, The Best Christmas Ever. Uh, Week one, I encourage you to say, to do this, choose joy over being grumpy 
Last week was another choice and really to choose to spend time with Jesus and rest with him. And I challenged you maybe to take a date with him. And maybe some of you did that this week. You spent some extra time with him, just sitting at his feet, listening to him. But today, I think there's another building block where the potential is there when we look back over this whole Christmas season and you go, this is the best one ever. I think there's a, there's a piece here that we could throw in that's very important. The key point for your notes, I said it this way, the best Christmas ever includes gospel-focused relationships. Now, I spent some time reading a number of articles on the issue of loneliness and, and Christmas, and both from a, a Christmas uh, Christian perspective and from a secular perspective. And, and one of the facts that I found is that the suicide spike, where it goes up, is right after Christmas. Matter of fact, it's in January. And it actually kind of makes sense when you think about it. A place where people are so discouraged, they're just getting through the season, and then they give up on life. But another fact exists in the research is that the Christmas blues are real for many people. The dreads set in during this holiday season. It's marked by loneliness, little joy. Matter of fact, a Canadian-American survey, it said this, 45 of the respondents dreaded the festive season. That's almost half that responded to this survey. Mental health drugs skyrocket. People are hurting emotionally. People are lonely. And I think figuratively we could say people are home alone, relationally speaking. But how does this intersect if we are a follower of Jesus? How does it intersect with us as a church? Now, in thinking through this question, I go, okay, why do we maybe not ponder it? And I think there's a couple reasons and a couple challenges for us. The first one on the, on the it's not on the notes; it's in the on the bullet or on the screen there. I think this we're inoculated. If our friendships are good, if our dynamic, our family dynamic is good, we don't have a bunch of baggage, I think this, that the pace leaves us just unaware of really what's happening in people's lives. And then we don't cross paths with those people. And it's just, it's just kind of out of sight, out of mind. But for many people, I think there's another one, because the second one is this. I think many people within the church who struggle with it are just ashamed to admit it, that they're lonely. They're struggling at this time of the year. And and I think that speaks for itself. But let me put up a verse that fits here with this idea of loneliness and relationship. Genesis 2.18. Look at this verse. We brush over it when we go through Genesis. But it says this, God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. It goes on to say, I'm going to make a helpmate for him. But in there, this is a heavier and a wider theological issue than at first glance. We were created for relationship. There was something missing in Adam. Two people together relating with each other 
is part of being made in the image of God. Do we know that? Do we remember that? See, and and this world is marked by relationships that do not work. Why? Because sin entered the world. And the truth exists is that people can have lots of family around this time of the year and still be lonely. And you can actually, I, I, I've, over the years of working with marriages, there are people in marriages, when you, if you kind of pull apart the marriage, they go, there's still loneliness at the center of even, even though they're married. So you throw in this time of the year, And I think even the busyness at times kind of covers it, forces people to not think about it just a bit, but all of a sudden it keeps bubbling up. And just like Kevin in Home Alone, people are forgotten and people realize they're not noticed at this time of the year. And also, God never designed loneliness He is actually the exact opposite of loneliness. Do you realize that? He is the Trinity in relationship all the time. See, do we catch this, the depth of the loneliness and the discouragement in being alone? And it's real in people and it's raw in people. I want to put a passage on the screen that shows how raw when relationships break down, Psalm 142. This, the context of this is David is being sought by Paul. Saul's trying to kill him. Okay, this is the context. But look at how David writes. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see that there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains in me. And look at this last phrase. No one cares for my soul. David was experiencing the anguish of being alone. Do you realize one of the most dreadful things in this world is isolation? And it's the trademark of hell itself. And and Satan applauds it when people are stuck there. See, this is what I believe. Extended loneliness holds people back from actually seeking Christ, moving toward Christ. Loneliness invites people to navel gaze. Keep thinking that life needs to be about me. It twists how people pursue relationships. Matter of fact, Another interesting piece here is that Jesus himself experienced loneliness. Now, if it was Easter, we could actually put a, do a whole series on this. But he became lonely for our sake. It, listen to this. It was part of the curse that, was, that he took upon himself to experience what we experience Let me jump to the application for today in your notes. The best Christmas ever application. Ask that the Father 
Ask the Father to give us eyes like Jesus. Got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 9 this morning. Just going to spend a few minutes in here, and I want to walk through this passage because I think it applies to these last couple weeks through the end of the year and beyond, okay? But I believe it's a path that, as we move down there, there's a sense of deep joy and a satisfaction in some things that we don't maybe normally experience at Christmas time. And and it's a starting point for us really to begin to maybe see people differently. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the labors are few, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Just first, a couple of observations. Jesus has a very accurate picture of this world as he looks at it. And second, we're going to find here that he's strategic and very intentional in his involvement in the world as he walks through this world. See, Jesus was going through the towns, teaching about the kingdom, and in the midst of that, he was caring and healing people. Jesus actually did both. Care, concern, healing, but also he coupled it with teaching about the gospel of the kingdom. Why? Why? You never can detach that to those two things. He understood that, yes, there's the physical aspects of it, of caring for people, helping people. But it's this, they need to understand his father, the good shepherd. He wanted them to know about his father. So he taught them over and over again about the kingdom of God. But notice something very important here as we, as we watch Jesus in this passage. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds. Now, your version might say this, seeing the people. That's a, another way that some versions use it. But that word saw means to notice something with perception. He noticed accurately what was going on with people. That was around him. And when you step back at this time of the year, it's hard to notice people. And I think the challenge for us, chaos, the demands of the family, we get so busy, so caught up in doing things, we just don't notice things. But let me build a case that when we really begin to see other people as Jesus saw them, it will add to you looking back at this time of the year and going, this was a great Christmas. But let's take a peek at Jesus here. He paid attention to what was going on. He was perceiving what was going on within the hearts of people. He was seen so much so that it says he was moved to compassion. And I think this is fair. 
without seeing people, I don't sense that we really can have compassion on people. But compassion is such a strong word here. It literally comes from the root word, the intestines, the the guts of people. It's where it assumed. That was kind of where it, it bubbled over. It was down in his gut that Jesus had this incredible, compassionate response as he looked out over people that he was ministering to. Now, what was it that Jesus saw? Let me give you some points here. And in the outline, I said the first bullet, I said it this way. He saw hurting people. And, and again, this goes on beyond they just don't have money or they don't have clothes or they don't have physical things. Understand he uses two words there, harassed and helpless like sheep. That word harassed is derived from a word that means to skin an animal. To skin an animal. And I'm assuming here that it, it's like if you skin an animal alive, and what would the, the cry of that animal be? They were harassed. And then that second word, helpless. It came to mean discouraged or without support. Without a support system. See, let me remind you that the people in that culture, for the, for the ones that were gathering around Jesus, they were the politically insignificant people. They really weren't the movers and the shakers in that culture. They were not the elite of the day. No one really cared about them and their views. And we got to catch this. I understand the Jewish culture had a, had a reputation as a very relational group of people. And yet this group of people, as Jesus looked at them, they said they were discouraged and without support. See, Jesus was going deeper as he looked at them. It was far more than the physical needs. It was about the soul the needs of the soul. That's where the anguish was at. See, he looked deep into the hearts of people and he saw that they were broken and hurting emotionally and relationally. These people had no answers to the questions about what life was all about. See, I I think this, these were people that had no purpose in their life. Life was there, but in one sense, they were alone. They were alone. And that is true of many, many people in our world today. But he saw something else. Notice the second bullet. He saw people that didn't have a shepherd. The phrase, without a shepherd, no one was looking out for them. Again, many were poor, socially disadvantaged. And understand the religious leaders of today, they were actually manipulated, this group of people, kept putting law after law, burden after burden on them. So they were not the guides to these people. There was no one there to guide them 
especially in the deeper things of the soul in the spiritual world. And the result, loneliness, alone, no one there to help. But let me point out another thing that Jesus saw as he looked at this group of people. And third bullet, he saw a plentiful harvest. He saw a harvest. But we catch here that Jesus wasn't overwhelmed with it. I think we, we look out there and we see people and you walk through a mall and you see people and, and if you, we stop and slow down and we kind of go, oh man, the problem's too great. There's nothing I can do. I, I really don't know these people. You know, I've got other purposes in life, so I really can't worry about it right now. No, he stopped, he watched the people, he looked out, and he said, here is a plentiful harvest. But do we catch what he was also doing with his disciples here? See, he he knew one very important fact. Here was a people that was without hope. And they needed hope. He knew that they needed to be able to put their faith in something. He knew that they needed care physically, yes. Healing, yes. But they needed more than that. And that's where even the teaching came in. He knew that they needed to know his father, the good shepherd, the one that ultimately pours into the soul. And he understood that they needed to find hope in a Messiah that was himself. See, Jesus was the hope who had come to set people free from the bondage of being alone and stuck in sin. But how can we sharpen our own sense of vision as we watch people Now, realize Jesus was looking to, he was that group of disciples that he's with. He was wanting them to sharpen their vision as well. Do we catch that? And what did he do? He invited the disciples to be with him as he lived his life. As he went through the day. See, his life became the lesson. Now, let me just remind you of this particular day. You don't have to turn to it in your Bibles, but if you looked at all of the Gospels and you look at what was the summary of this day, here's what it was. Here's what they believe. He healed the paralytic who was brought to him. And as he did that, he was teaching about the forgiveness of sins. On this day, he called out Matthew the tax collector. And he dined with him, took a meal with him, and with some other sinners. And he was that day he was criticized by the Pharisees for hanging around with those people. And Jesus took time to defend his actions. And then he taught the disciples of John on this day, who really, who he was himself and what the kingdom was about. And while just after that teaching, he was called to the home of a synagogue official because the daughter was ill, but she had died. But Jesus was going to go anyway because he was going to raise her and give her life. 
And while he was on that path, a woman grabbed him who had been bleeding for years from the menstrual area and he heals her. But also he continued on that day and he healed two blind men and he bumps into a mute who he casts out demons on and he helped him And then he continued to teach under the watchful and evil eye of the Pharisees. That was his day. He had quite a day. So how did Jesus sharpen the vision of those disciples? He did it this way. He showed them intentionally that everywhere he went and everywhere he turned, that there was people needing a shepherd everywhere. I understand this was a way of life for Jesus. And he was modeling a way of life for his disciples and he's modeling it for us also. I understand for Jesus in this sense, he didn't put ministry on a calendar. You know, from... Eight o'clock tomorrow morning, I'm going to go heal somebody. Check that one off. And you know, there's some lonely people that I'll fit them in between 10 and 12, but then I'm going to need a lunch break after that. See, he didn't work in compartments. It was a lifestyle. He stopped and he paid attention to people that he regularly encountered. So that day... On his way to raising a dead daughter of the synagogue official, an inter- a woman interrupts him, grabs him to touch his garment, and he allowed that interruption in his life. You know, he could have said to that lady, hey, I got some really important things to do. I got this girl that just died. I need to get to her and give her life. And go, No. He stopped, he listened, he helped. See, the discipleship journey, it starts with us coming to a place where we put our faith in Christ and we begin this, we start off as a child in the faith and that is okay. And sometimes we just need to soak at the feet of Jesus, but there's a place where God wants to change us to be used in the kingdom of helping people wherever they're at, moving down to a different place. And he's looking for us to go to a different place. See, if we're claiming that God's working in us, that he's growing us, It calls us then to something really that Jesus demonstrated for us. And it's a challenge for us. Let me give it to you in the notes here. The great challenge in discipleship is to come to a place where we understand that ministry toward people is to be a lifestyle and not a scheduled event, an activity. And and Folks, this is true whether you're talking about ministry to people within the church or without, outside of the church. At every turn, Jesus was among people, both the hurting and his disciples. 
He didn't isolate himself. He didn't get caught up into some sense of personal or family mission where he had no time for for those people over there. Now, I don't believe that there's a, a secret formula to gaining insight as we look at people's lives. I, I do need we realize we all need to grow in it, and, and maybe we need to even grow more in what it means to understand the kingdom of God as he was teaching that, as he was helping them. But we need to be able to look at people and see people and have actually the energy and the willingness to walk with them. We walk with people who are far from Jesus. And we just help them take one step. And maybe you hand them off to somebody else. But see, during this Christmas season, our our time gets in the way. But sometimes, you understand, there's also people within the church that we need to walk with them as well. And the focus is just a little different at times for those that are a follower of Christ. And I would say it this way. God calls us to multiply. It's what he's doing with the disciples, that more and more people would have a vision to look at the world and go, I need to make a difference. I need to walk with people toward Jesus. So I don't think there's any secret formula that we really have to do that. It's recognizing it's a process. And some people here, maybe even this room, you just need to sit with Jesus at his feet and learn and dig into what is the kingdom. What are the scriptures telling you and calling you to become? But do we see people at every venue in our lives, at church, in our families, at work, in the restaurants that we visit, in the world See, ministry is is not supposed to be something that's in a compartment. Ministry is paying attention to what's going on to see like Jesus saw people. See, being involved in the lives of people that God has placed on this earth in our path. So I believe the only way we can sharpen our vision is by relationship building with people. With people. And some who are hurting deeply and are lonely. And you would describe that they need soul care. Paying attention to people and watching. Looking to see what God is doing in their lives. Join God in on that mission. But you have to notice here that Jesus was intentional with his disciples. This was strategic. And Jesus is a bit sneaky here because he did a couple things here that really was pushing them to a new place. And you know, how was Jesus being intentional? The first number one there, he first calls his disciples to pray. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord. See, he didn't start by saying, what are you guys sitting around here for? Get up and do something. That's not where he started. That's not where he started. What happens when we pray? I I think it's this. Our hearts become in tune with God and what he's doing. And and we can join him that way. 
See, prayer humbles us before the Lord. It allows us to approach life and ministry with open hands. And when people come into our lives, he just goes, okay, God, you gave them to, you just allowed them into my life. See, and we allow God to set the agenda. We pray and then we submit to his lordship in our lives at those times. So the first part is to pray. And I think this, when we begin to, when God puts specific people in our lives, and when we begin to pray for those people, you recognize that God does something in us as we watch them. We begin to pick up the things that can be helpful for soul care. And it might be trouble, some people in your family again. It might be neighbors. It might be coworkers. And we begin to see those people that are distressed, discouraged, helpless, need a shepherd. We see them as a harvest in the spiritual sense. But Jesus was actually more intentional as well. So he tells them to pray. And number two, he did this. He propelled them to go. I'm not going to read it here, but in chapter 10, verse 1, he brings them all together and he gave them authority to cast out demons, to heal diseases and sicknesses. And then he says, guys, go. Go. You're ready to go. And guys, you've been praying for this group of people that you're going to. You will be the answer to the prayer. You're the answer. See, Jesus was developing them so that their whole life was ordered into a lifestyle of working for the kingdom of God. Whether it was church, whether it was outside the church, whether you're at work, whether you're at a restaurant, he was preparing them to multiply and spread into the world just by the way they lived their lives. Let me ask you a hard question. Do you see yourself as moving more and more toward a lifestyle of ministry? And again, maybe you're young in your faith, and I go, don't be discouraged by that. It's okay. But for some of you that have been in the faith longer, are you still looking at ministry as compartments? This is my church box. I'm doing some spiritual things in the community, serving the community. Check that box off. Good to go there. See, God wants us to go farther than that. He wants us to build into a lifestyle of serving and relating with others. That's where he wants us to go. And can I warn you that when it moves in that direction, it's not neat and it's not clean, and it's not convenient. God compels you to do things that aren't convenient. You know, I, I look back, and my wife inviting a teen girl into the home, pregnant, living with us probably six, seven, eight months, I, inviting a man to live with us. This was in Vancouver. His name was Claude, and he had no family, 
we got to know him and known was taking care of him. We eventually saw Claude coming to Christ before he died. Had another young man come in and we ended up inviting him in and he struggled with depression for over a year while he was living with us. I learned so much. But I have to tell you this, it'll complicate your life. Jesus wants us to see, to see people differently. Because he's already built into us so much to be able to give, and I don't think we even realize it. Do you know how much he's given to you already? And you have far more tools than I think you realize. So how do you apply this? Let me end it this way. You notice on the sermon notes there, there's a bunch of dots on the bottom. That is where you're going to take a scissors and you're going to cut that little section off. And what I would invite you to do here this week is to take that and to put those statements up, maybe on the mirror, maybe on your dash, maybe where you comb your hair, put your makeup on. Number one, pray every day this week. How about I'd invite you to do this, that God would give you and our church family spiritual eyes to see people and their needs to prepare in giving them a hope that is only found in Jesus. Man, that we would have eyes to see people in a new way. You know, the enemy pulls us toward a self-oriented world self-protected, we protect ourselves and our lifestyles with our families. And the flesh and the enemy pushes away from, from getting involved with people. I, I, I have to admit that even being in full-time ministry, there's things that are still pulling me, wanting to push me away from, from people. But the second one, number two, pray every day that God would intentionally put people in our paths so as to build a relational bridge. See, as we open up our eyes, as he, he takes the scales off our eyes, all of a sudden there's maybe there's somebody standing in front of us that we really haven't recognized. Figuratively speaking, they're standing there and they need help. They need encouragement. And, and you might see that they're actually home alone. And that there's a loneliness in them that we might be able to minister to them in that way. This morning we have communion. And it reminds us again that we have an opportunity to give away Christ because he is our hope. And I'm going to invite the elders to come on up in that. I want to serve that and just remember that here is our hope And the people out there, they need Jesus. But let me just speak to a few of you today. That maybe deep down, there is some loneliness within you. Here's what I would invite you to. Would you have the courage to tell somebody else that? If you're lonely. 
and bring somebody else into your life. Open yourself up to another person that might maybe can begin to pray with you. Begin to act as a bit of a guide in your life, a spiritual guide that would really get to know you. Yeah, if you email me, talk to the elders, we'll try to find somebody for you to walk with you, if that would be the case. But I want to just close by praying for you, if that's you this morning, and I would just encourage you to seek it and, and just be open with it. Let me pray. Father, there might be somebody here today that's discouraged, that's lonely, and feels harassed and helpless. <clears throat> so, Father, I would pray for two things. that um, One, that if they feel that way, that there would be an openness to talk to somebody else and, and, and share with others the discouragement and open themselves up to a relationship. And Father, secondly, I I would pray that you would begin to raise up for us um, eyes to see that person. Give us the willingness to be loving and gentle and caring. Give us the willingness to be a guide for people, to be a mentor for people. So Father, you want us to see people differently and even this week, especially maybe this week during Christmas. So we thank you for being our hope this morning. These things we pray in your name. Amen.